We have a new sponsor of ROAS. You Are Not Your ROAS is happy to welcome our primary sponsor, retention.com. If you love money, you're going to love retention.com. You'll hear more about them later in a bit. Until then, enjoy this episode of You're Not Your ROAS exclusively on the Triple Whale Network. Dropshipping is probably today the hardest business model on the planet, is sort of my feeling about it. If you own a large content site, and I actually did this, I had a pretty successful dropshipping site because I think if you have something that is just bringing in traffic organically, dropshipping is a crazy easy way to pick up easy dollars. I think that if you are looking at running a paid traffic model into dropshipping, then you you missed the boat by five or six years. You know, and that's that's my bet on it. Two, one. And we're back, folks, with another episode of You're Not Your ROAS. This is actually a really uh, fun episode for me. I've um, been following James around for a while now. I don't know if you remember, um, before Triple Well, you were doing kind of like little fun like conference calls of like, hey, if you want to just grab some I do. time. It, oh, yeah, yeah. So of course I was I trying do. to do, yeah, I was trying to do some, uh, some mini chat stuff with uh, a gambling app on uh uh, for UFC, and you were actually really instrumental. That was a really, really awesome call. Um, so one, thank you for taking the time to uh, take that call. And then two, thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, man. Um, it's funny because when, when we first hopped on before uh, before we started recording, when I said, you know, it's been a while, I didn't mean since a DM. I mean, since we actually had a, we like actually yep. spoke and that's what I was referencing. Oh, amazing. Um, so yeah, dude, I'm uh, pumped to be here. I'm very excited. Absolutely. Um, and you're over on the West Coast, right? Best Coast. I'm, I'm over on the West Coast, the Best Coast. It's uh, has not been the Best Coast recently. Um, it's, it's it's getting sunny again. I'm in I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, I spend like seventy percent of my time here, thirty percent of my time in New York. Um, I I came out here for the sun, and then about two winters ago, and then we had two winters that broke rain records, uh, like hundred year rain records in a row. Is, um, so it was chaos really, out there. Chaos is an understatement, bro. And we had like, I had hail. I'm in Beverly Hills. I have hail hitting my, you know what I mean? Um, and by the way, I'm from New York City, right? So I can deal, like I'm used to all four seasons in a real way, all four seasons, like zero degrees, 100 degrees, all of it. The difference is that like when everyone around you and all the infrastructure is not prepared for it, it makes a massive difference, right? Like it's, you know, so. Preaching the choir, we just did the whaleys and we got this like just random, uh, basically winter storm of like ice and rain and, um, whenever there's any semblance of winter in Austin, there's, there's just no infrastructure out here. So the, the whole city just, just shuts down. So uh, I can totally empathize with that. But yeah, I went out to LA, uh, for, for a dinner, a founder's dinner or something like that. Um, and it was chaos. It was raining. I left and it was snowing. I was like, gosh, guys, I gotta go in Austin. I'm leaving Austin. It's like 85 and sunny out. So, uh, definitely, uh, getting the, the raw end of the deal there. <laughs> Well, next time I'll make sure it's sunny for you. I promise. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll you, do my turn best. the weather machine on for me. I'll Amazing. do my rain dance. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's get into it, man. You've you've done a ton of flipping, a ton of just just crazy awesomeness. Um, how, what was the first foray? How did you how did you get an entrepreneurship? I I, I you know it's funny because you know I've got two two best friends who are sort of I think a lot of people know I have a, 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 a other friends as well, but I think Colin Landforce and, and and Orrin Trouble are like two of my best friends and and. You know, one thing we talk about a lot is entrepreneurship. And Oren is a little bit different. I think he's actually played a little bit more of the corporate life than I have in some regards. But one thing Colin and I always talk about is people ask us, like, how did you get entrepreneurship? And, like, I don't really just know. It's just me. Like, there's no – and, I, and I, it's not like, yo, you, no one can do it. It's just me. But, like, I have not – and I'll openly admit this because of because uh, everything ended up working out. But, like, no one would give me a job ever, right? It wasn't – this was not by design where, I, you know, this was just like, oh – 
um, you know, no one wants to hire me to do anything essentially in a full-time capacity. <laughs> and I have had some jobs, but it was like real, like network people just knew me and were like, oh, you should have this job. Right. Um, like, but, uh, no, I mean, I was an internet kid, dude. I mean, I'm 34, I'll be 35 in like two months. What I'll say about that is like, I just grew up like throwing AOL CD ROMs and CompuServe and Juno discs, you know? So it was like, yeah. I had 28.8K and then 56K and like, it was just serendipitous timing. Like I was always wanted to make money and I always wanted to build businesses for whatever reason. I think partially because I saw in the world I grew up in that a lot, I've, I was very blessed to have entrepreneurs around me as a child. And so I saw that path was possible. Um, I grew up very like lower middle class in New York. Um, but when you grow up lower middle class in like a city like that, you end up getting to get a taste of everyone. Right. And so, yeah, I had friends whose dads were bankers and doing fine, but the friends whose dads were entrepreneurs, you know, were like really doing well, you know? And that was like a, and obviously that was a confirmation bias, right? Like, I don't want to pretend that's everyone on the planet, but I saw that path. So I started blogging as a teenager, had some stuff called viral and like stumble upon and dig. Stumble, and, oh my it, gosh. Shout out. Dude, oh, I'm going like to bring them back. So yes. bad, dude. Kevin Rose tried to buy Dig uh, again, I think, right? And give yes. it a second kind of uh, breath of life, but it just didn't land like didn't the first land. Time. Dig yeah. had a Dig had a moment where I kept seeing all these paid ads through Dig's ad accounts on on Instagram, and like we were just obviously whitelisting it for stuff. I don't know, but but it was. I'm glad you recognize what those things are because most people have no idea what they are. Yeah, yeah. They were like social Plus, media before social media. Before social media. Oh, totally. Stumble upon is my shit, man. You just go and just like. It was we, just this, this random. We should like, rebuild what a great it. Idea. We could we really, we could just rebuild. It'd be so easy. A browser now, a browser extension that just showed you cool websites. To everyone listening who doesn't know or watching, StumbleUpon was just a browser extension or website. You just pressed a button, it would show you a cool viral website on the internet, essentially. And Dig was just sort of like a social media network. I, you would dig it if you liked it. Yeah. It it was like almost predated Reddit and yes. in, a, in a less pretentious way. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Reddit, but it's very insular. Like, if you take a wrong step in a left or a right way, man you'll get flamed on there pretty quickly. It can be a little bit off-putting for some people. Yeah, Reddit is like you're either a Redditor or you're not, right? <laughs> like, that's really it. There's like, there's two people in this world, you're either Redditors or you're not. Um, but yeah, so I just had some stuff go viral, made like 30 bucks. I was like 15, 16. That was like mind-blowing to me at the time and mind-blowing to everyone at the time. By the way, this is 20 years ago. People were like, what is, what is this kid doing? Um, I'll make it quick. Went down a rabbit hole, became a pretty big affiliate marketer, built an ad network, an affiliate network, really. Ad network's easier way to explain it, but we brokered offers between advertisers and publishers, sold that, um, used every penny from that, being a little club rat, running around nightclubs from my early 20s. Um, and would do like digital strategy during the day um, and, you know, promote nightclubs at night. I used to never tell people that either because I was embarrassed by that. And now that's, that's long enough past that it's not embarrassing. It's just a part of my life. Um, at 27, I hated everything. I hate. I wanted to go. I hate. Want to run away, change my life, and I got very lucky. And I got a my first contract with McKinsey, and I started doing digital strategy for McKinsey's Org Health Solution, um, which paid me more than enough money to sort of to, to run around. And I ran off to Southeast Asia, and I moved to Kuala Lumpur. And, Interesting. Uh, yeah, I lived in KL for like a year and a half, and I was like doing strategy for McKinsey and like running stuff for Lionsgate and a bunch of cool stuff like that. Um, Started mentoring this thing called Magic, which is a government accelerator in Kuala Lumpur or in Putrajaya outside of, of Kuala Lumpur. That plugged me into Google. Started mentoring a Google Launchpad, which was a tech accelerator for Google Runs. Came back to New York to visit my family. Ran to a friend from a nightclub. He was a derivatives trader. For, uh, and he was like, hey, dude, cannabis is the next big commodity. I started a blog of cannabis. Do you want to buy into it and become my partner? I was like, cool, let's do it. 
And we ended up building a pretty large financial news website and portfolio of websites. And then ironically, not ironically, interestingly, we ended up taking equity instead of cash for a lot of advertisers. And it was a very nascent industry. We timed cannabis perfectly by chance, not on purpose. And so we grew from like 2016, we sold in 2020 and started the business in like 2016. So it was like the perfect timing of cannabis, which is now having a, a, a low run. Um, and through that, I ended up getting, buying some other websites, building some sites and like taking equity in some consumer packaged goods brands, ran digital for them. It was a weird hodgepodge business. I couldn't rebuild it. Don't worry, this is almost done. Found Twitter in 2020 when I was bored and sold this company. Started talking about websites I wanted to buy, business I wanted to buy. A friend convinced me to do a newsletter in the space. So I built NanoFlips, which is the newsletter. Um, and then bought, decided I was going to do my own little aggregator roll-up. And so I started buying e-com brands. And I bought a company called Blue Angels Hearing. Um, the original owner stayed on board as my partner. We grew that. We sold that last year to Open Store. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shout out Keith Ravoy. That's good. Yeah. And then Stock uh, that's not doing great, but no. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then that's actually how I, uh, you know, I'm a little connected to the Trip Wheel crew because at the time, some of the founders of Trip Wheel had an e com brand that they were trying to sell, and I've almost bought it from them. Powerful Madison Braids. Let's and go. Madison. Shout out Madison Braids. If y'all, if you're looking for hair extensions, everyone should Let's go to Madison go. Braids. Um, and yeah. And then now I do. I run this newsletter and online education business and mostly do buy-side M&A advisory for sub $20 million transactions. And I'm trying to figure out what the next thing I want to fully sink my teeth into is in the entrepreneurial space. And just, I don't know, talk to cool people like you and tell my story. So that's, that's my 10-minute roundup. Sorry, everyone. No, no, I love that. That's amazing. One thing I actually want to put, plant a flag in is now with this bull market kind of because you hear all these like, oh, I got rich, I got rich off equity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, speaking of like confirmation bias, I feel like there's not enough talked about because sometimes, right, like there can be a little bit of um, equity is almost like uh, like tipping it in a way, right? Where it's like it subsidizes the market rate that you can command. And so I can wrap you up in this equity, especially if there is um, a strike price for people that don't know. Um, usually the equity will be awarded in Unless she's founded the company, it's usually awarded in some semblance of options. Um, those options usually have something called a strike price, meaning that to exercise those, and an option is just a contract to buy X amount of stock. Usually 100 shares is kind of the, the going rate. And so um, there's a strike price attached to that as well. So you, you not only don't get the equity, you have to actually buy the equity. Um, and then for people that also don't know, you usually don't want to liquidate your equity within a year because it has a different tax treatment where it's a short-term gain, essentially income, which is a much worse tax treatment than a long-term gain when you hold it after a year. So I guess the, the whole roundabout question is like, what are your thoughts for people that are coming into something that has some semblance of an equity package, but they're taking below market rates? Because th there's been a little bit, I think, of a conflation of uh, like equity makes you rich, which it can, don't get me wrong, but I'm more in your, your, your boat of cash flow. like cash yeah. flow is king. And then if you can get some cash flow, buy more cash flowing assets, and then you're, you're in a much better place than pulling these lottery tickets. Cause let's be honest, that's really what they are, right? Like the amount of startups that actually, 100%. cause the, the thing I think that gets lost on people is like, it's not even if the startup succeeds, usually again, unless you're in some semblance of some really good comp deal, you're getting poor people stock. You're getting common stock from your options. You're not getting preferred, preferred stock, yeah, which investors yeah. get or, um, you know, the founders have, et cetera, et cetera. 
So one, you're, you're not only the last people paid out, but if you're in a industry that might have multiple raises, you'll get something what's called dilution, right? Where you can kind of get diluted to kingdom come. So say I start with, make the math easy. There's a hundred shares in the company and you give me 10. If you go out and invest and I go, oh, hey, James, I want to invest in your company. I go, okay, Robert, give me a bunch of money and I'll give you another hundred shares. So now there's 200 shares in the pool. And so this, the 10 shares that you just had are now not 10 out of 100, they're 10 out of 200. So how, do you, how should be people thinking about, um, especially if you're in a high talented, talented position, um, how would you go about in terms of uh, making bets with balancing cash flow in terms of like proper real comp where I'm giving sure. you money every month versus um, some semblance of equity? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say that I think you touched on something that's really important for people to think about when they think of equity issuances, i.e. shares being issued to people. Think about a pie of pizza. Okay, we're not creating new slices. We're just slicing those slices into smaller slices, right? So when I say like we're gonna we're gonna issue you we're gonna issue a million more shares or a hundred more shares to keep it simple, it is not that we're just out of nowhere. People are like, where do those shares come from? Well, the reality is to to your point, Rob, it's just dilution, right? We're just like making the slices that exist smaller. Now, if if often share acquisition through through stock, stock for stock acquisitions. That can be fine because yes, you're cre you're making the slices, but the pie is actually getting bigger because more things are being folded into it. So I just wanted to be like that is just a functioning understanding of people understand that like it's not that you just create value by shares existing. You're just slicing it up into more slices of the same pie. Really good point. And then the other part to go at that is I think it most people don't understand that share issuances is literally signing of a piece of paper and a securities attorney, right? Like it's not impossible to do. And if you're not careful and you deal with an unscrupulous people, I think this is going to lead into answering your question. Like, I could say to you, right, I could, I, you know, in my company right now, I could, you know, I could issue you all the, sh I could issue you equal shares right now, right? And then I could just keep issuing myself more shares to dilute you down to the end of all time. Yeah. And, and in, my, in my last company that we sold, I was actually a minority shareholder. I had one share of share, not to overcomplicate things, but I had one share of share class X, which had supermajority voting over all common stock in perpetuity, right? And to that point, what it means is I could issue shares for acquisitions. I could issue shares to people. But if I had ever wanted, I could fight the dilution personally and, and, and control the company. So anyway, um, now to answer your, <laughs> your, your question, Does, unless I went way too off track already. No, no, I love the tracker going now because that's the other thing that I was going to kind of touch on as well is that, again, not all shares are created equal. And so a lot of times the founders will have non-dilutable shares where it's like, no matter how much the pie gets sliced up, baby, my piece is staying as big as it's going to stay. And so I, I think there's just a lot of people that get lost in the sauce on this because it is complex, right? It is nuanced. Incredibly. There, there's, there's a lot, again, a lot of these things are like, okay, exercise my options. But um, again, there's liquidity preferences and yep. then there's literal liquidity of like, okay, who the fuck do I sell to now? Okay, I got all these shares. And if it's not on the public market, like you're talking about secondaries and then secondaries can be weird because a lot of times, again, if you have the poor people stock with common stock, you're probably going to get a discount against what the actual preferred stock were raised against. So if you raised against $20 for preferred stock, maybe I'll give you 10 or 15 for your common stock because it's just not worth as much in the eyes of investors. And so a hundred percent. And even, and by the way, even in public markets, it happens. It's called a pipe, right? So they do That's pipe offerings point. below market, great right? Yep. So like the rich get richer. If I say to you, Hey, we're trading at a hundred dollars a share. I need to go to raise $30 million. You might come, I might say to you, Hey, listen, I will issue these shares. I'll do offering for you in a pipe, private investment in public equities. I'll offer you a pipe 30% discount to the VWAP, to the variable weighted average price over the past 30 days. 
right? So you're going to get to buy those shares at 30% below market. The, and the moment you buy them, because they are marked to market, they are marketable securities with a mark to market value. Yep. The moment you buy them, you'll be up 30%. Anyway, it's just- <laughs> It's brilliant. It's, it's crazy. And then you can do ATM offerings at the market yep. offerings where you're selling yep. into the market as people buy them directly from the company. I digress. To go back to your initial question, which I think is a really important one. I was not a genius. I was obscenely lucky to be really candid about the timing of taking equity. And some of the equities that we took became worthless. And right. you, know, I, you know what I mean? Just to be completely candid, we played a VC game without the money. I, we made bets and it happened to be that I knew in the same way that I invest my own capital today, I invest in two things. I invest in either really boring things like the S&P 500, broad equities, market ADFs, or I invest in companies like, I, I'll just close, I'm an investor in Triple Whale. I, yeah. I invest in companies I think I can effectuate change in, where I think my dollar can be worth more than, more than a dollar, right? Um, and so for, for, for us, what we were doing was we were taking equity from companies that we thought we could effectuate change in, right? Yep. We were taking equity and knowing that when we worked on them, we could make them more valuable. Yep. Some of them didn't work out. Some of them went to the NASDAQ, right? I mean, yep. to be really, really, really candid. And so we ended up inevitably sort of ironically getting a larger exit than we should have straight up, you know, we, because of our slice of equity in different companies, we got more than we should have. So it can go the other way though, to your point. So everyone who worked at Facebook in the past two years is probably crying. I, you know what I mean? Stripe? Can you imagine the Stripe stuff? Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Well, they, Stripe at least they're offering, go. they're trying to buy out their, they're, they're doing the it. right thing. I had yeah. to look up what was going on there. I was like, why do they don't need the, like the stock would just revert back to the company if it doesn't. So it was like, I was trying to figure out what was going on there. They're actually doing like, that's they are. kind of an anomaly in that weird way. Like what they're <laughs> doing sure doesn't need to be happening. But I guess you probably don't want to have like this huge mutiny in your engineering team too, where exactly. like everybody is just kind of. So F. to give everyone context, what Stripe is doing is Stripe is doing a raise, a down round, I think technically, right? Like bad, yeah, yeah. I but what they're doing is, yeah, but they're allowing, 95. they're buying, they're basically buying the equity from employees, pretty much, right? Yep. Like it's and and that it's nice because, for example, if you worked at Facebook, I don't know where Facebook is trading, but let's say I worked at Facebook and I was an engineer, you said. By the way, most people don't get this in tech. When they say you make six hundred grand a year, it's it's comp, right? It's yes, full comp, comp. Right? It, yes, yes, it yes, is yes, not yes, cash. Yes. It is yes. not cash, right? So you're saying I'm going to pay you two hundred thousand dollars in cash. Yep. We're going to give you four hundred k in options or warrants yep. or RSUs or whatever, right? Correct. Um, and so what happens to Rob's point about strike price is in this option. Let's say I work at Facebook and you say you're going to give me options of the hundred dollar strike. Right now we're we're worth two hundred dollars. Well, what yep. happens when Facebook? goes down to $98. Well, now all of my options are worthless. No one buy them for me because it's an option to buy the shares at $100 a share. Plus, I'm not going to get into like Delta and Gamma and all this stuff, but there's a weird complexity of the value of an option. The closer that it gets, time decay Correct. is what it's called, right? The closer yep. it gets to the strike pipe, the, the, um, the expiration, the expiration of, of, yep. of the option warrant. So it gets really complicated. This gets a yep. really weird way. But my point is, is that like when you take, my firm belief is, you need to be taking equity in businesses you truly believe are going up, right? And not just because like it's hype going up. I got lucky with cannabis, right? And it was just the timing of the market was correct and cannabis equities. Um, but in general, the, and you believe that you really can make that stock worth more, right? And that's sort of whether you're on a high level, whether you're, and I'm not a big investor, but whether you're like me, an investor who writes 25, 50K checks, or whether you're, you know, just an employee that's taking 20K a year in options, you should be able to, you should want and believe that you can make those options worth more money through the, through the, through the efforts that you put into that company. Yeah. Because um, it can go completely opposite. They can go completely, completely opposite for you. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love that. And I would almost add on, or not almost, I would also add 
I think the challenge too, when you're all hot and bothered, you're in this really fun company, you don't ask like awkward questions of like, who's on the, like, if you're getting RSUs or any semblance of equity, you should know who's on the cap table. You yeah. should know if there's any debt service, right? Because if this sure. company owes a bunch of money, guess who's getting that money first? It ain't you, baby. It ain't and, you. <laughs> yeah. And so I think there's all these like uh, questions that never were asked because there was so many, like you just heard so many stories of like, oh, I was at Facebook and I just became a billionaire. I was early at Google or I was early X, Y, and Z. And um, the it's just interesting to me because I know a lot of people right now are, they ask me, and again, I'm, I'm will know or you'll forget more than I know about investing kind of thing but I I know how the markets work etc cetera, etc cetera. and there's these people that are just, I just want to do great work like should I take this equity or not and I, I I agree that you should work for companies that you think can be better and that's a really good thing to have that equity but just because that company quote unquote succeed it might be five to seven years before you get a liquidity. Oh, for Unless sure. Unless you're in the C-suite and you can participate in secondaries or something like that. No, yeah, you're not taking and chips off the table I, and, and it, as an employee. And, and I think, you know, I even have this thought now with my investing, right? I have some mentors, friends who are like, listen, you don't write big enough checks to play venture games. You don't, right? Right. Because, that's you know, that, that's the other reality too, right? Just you're talking about getting really rich, like it's a luck game, right? And so I don't care whether time and money, let's, let's, pretend in math they're equal right they're interchangeable they really are yep. they're not the same but they're interchangeable so i happen to sometimes dedicate money these days right yep. as opposed to time yep. but the reality is i don't have enough money nor time to play venture games and you as an employee not you but an individual listening should not be thinking that this is a venture style bet for you i have friends all the time that say friend. to me like hey man i want to show me the deals you get and they're like oh i'll, I'll be like i invest in this tech company and we're up yep you know, they Shopify just put their B into it, you know, yeah. just, yep. their yep. B really quick. And my friends are like, oh, let me know next time you get one of those. And I'm immediately like, well, I can't, I'm not never going to send you a deal because just because this one did well doesn't mean that the other ones I did did well, right? That I invested in did well. And the idea of venture is like eight to 10 years till you find liquidity. You are, you know, you're hoping one in like 50 bets yep. hit, you know, yep. and the all, all the others completely lose. And the other problem is that for me, you know, if you hit 100x on a $25,000 investment, that's amazing. That's amazing, yep. amazing, amazing. Amazing. But here's the reality. That 100x on a $25,000 investment is $2.5 million. And after yep. cap gains, to make the math easy, let's say it's 1.2. I don't yep. want to sound, I, I'm aware and privileged. I'm aware of where I sit in life. But like, that is not some, obs it is life-changing money. It, it's you know, not but generational it, wealth. Yes, to be that's what I'm trying like, to get at, right? It's just not, not where it's at. Yeah, if you're writing 500K checks, you know, like maybe, you know, but even then you better write 50 of them. You know what I mean? So anyway, my point is when it comes to time as taking equity to answer your question, you have to be aware that you also are not a venture investor. You are not a venture fund with your time. You do not, you cannot take 100 bets. So take equity in businesses you believe in, in business you believe that you can grow. But to Rob's point, I think it's really under, important to understand cap tables. It's important to understand the market. Right. Yep. Where, where the market is, where what's what's the plan for liquidity? I, I think that's yep. a very fair question to ask anyone that's offering you equity in, in lieu of cash. When's the liquidity event? How far out do you see it? How do how is it? Is it a go public? Is it an acquisition? Is it dividends? You know, is there no liquidity event? Right. <laughs> We're just going to rock it. Are we just going to rock it? And all of a sudden off. I'm just going to keep getting dividend checks. I don't know. Yep. Right. And so that's really important for you to understand. I think that it's really, really easy when you understand when you've been through some stuff like you and I have, I think it's very easy to understand, especially as an entrepreneur, how I can play equity games with people and I could I can make them really confused with comp and I can make them yep. feel like they're getting really rich. 
I can tell you in 2020, I became a paper millionaire. Paper yeah. millionaire means nothing. It means, it means nothing. fucking nothing. It's almost right? worse. It's almost, you, you, oh, you ascribe your worse. worth to this, this like non, it's like having your, it, for people that have never bought options, you can't sell options when the market's closed. Unlike um, some stock, you can kind of liquidate um, in closing hours or after hours kind of stuff. Options don't work like that. And so I've had some really deep in the money options. And I'm like, you know what? Let's fucking ride it out till tomorrow and really get, and you just see it fall off a cliff in after hours. You're just like, you just see this money evaporate right before your oh, eyes. Oh, that, it's, I mean, it's, and you have to start, terrible. you have to start disconnecting yourself. I mean, I yeah. was, you know, I ended up in, in that exit in 2020, I ended up getting like a bunch of common as well, but with, 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 with restricted shares, right? <laughs> like, that's cool. Like it's, they're restricted. There, there was like literally a, a red stamp on the back of a cert, or, you know, that says like 144 restriction. You know what I mean? Like you cannot sell these. These are not registered securities, right? Um, and so it's just, and I, you know, I now two years later have deposited said shares into a brokerage. You know, I mean, just cheat, you know what I mean? But it's, but my point is, it's like you all of a sudden feel really cool when there's a screen that tells you you have money and the government, by the way, just for everyone who knows this, you know, you better make sure this comes in the right way because here's another complicated part is the IRS don't care how liquid your your equities yep. are. You know what I mean? The IRS yep. is cool. I, you got paid a million dollars in stock last year. That's really awesome. You owe us the money from that income. Yeah, right? and that's the other, other part we didn't touch on is when you do exercise those shares, you're going to pay the spread between your strike price and the fair market value. Uh, which is going to be a tax bill, whether to your point, you sold those shares or not. You have to pay that that kind of perceived gain, if you will. Um, I've watched, so I mean, I've watched public company owners who like have who take very little cash comp. Yep, have to set up like like form whatever like ten forty plans. I forget what they're called, but are just automated selling plans. And the reason they do that is because it looks way worse to the market if you just decide to sell on your own free Signal time. Risk. But you say like, hey, every every week we're going to sell five percent of the trailing week's volume, right? And, and then, but they have to do it. They have to, because there's no way to pay their tax bill, right? And the, again, the IRS does not care, right? That you are like, oh, well, they might be worth more in the future. They need to be paid now. So anyway, that's that's my thoughts on 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 comp through, through equity and options. And I think that people should be really, really careful. I think that the other thing I'll say is that my shtick these days, everyone who knows me or follows me, is like about that anyone with, half a brain can buy a small online business hypothetically if they want to and grow it. Um, and, 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 you know, people always say to me, oh, it's so risky. Businesses are so risky. Well, the irony about somebody saying that to me is like, you're also telling me that your job is risky, you know, because everyone, if you have a job, you work at a business, right? So if you believe that businesses are risky, then you also believe that jobs are risky. By which extension. They are. <laughs> By extension of that, they both are. And what I'll tell you is that someone who has been in owned multiple businesses is that like, in general, Yes, there's a reason. There's a reason payroll lending is such a massive industry, and it's often because business owners have to borrow money to pay their employees, right? And so, and I think that the reality is, yes, you get your W two check every every two weeks, but you have no clue what that P and L looks like. You have no clue yep. what's in the treasury. You have no yep. clue whether how much longer it's going to come. And we look at tech this year: a hundred thousand layoffs this year, right? In the first like three months of this year, two and a half months or whatever. Um, I'm not saying that it's Yes, it is safer to take a W-2 paycheck for sure. I'm just saying that in general, there is an inherent risk tied in with a job that is tied to the business that you work at. And so bring it back to your last point, 
is that if you're going to take options or equity, you should be aware that you are taking on some of the risk that exists that the business owners are as well, and that, that equity or those options might become totally worthless. No, I, I love that. And I'll add another uh, little wrinkle if people aren't already confused, and, and, then, and then we'll move on. But this, is, this has been so fun and illuminating to me because I've been just wanting to chat about this, especially, again, I think Stripe is going to go down as one of the biggest misses ever, if not ever. Like why they didn't IPO, even if you just put a smattering together and just like, get the fuck out. Like that was the frothiest market on the planet. And now they're, they have a 90, they just cut off. I think to your point, uh, I think they're raising six bills at 40, 45. Yeah. And their last raise was yeah. 95. Yeah. Like that's a haircut. A that is a proper haircut. haircut. But you know, what's interesting about that. And it's, then we should move on. Cause this is going to get so esoteric. Everyone's going to like turn it <laughs> off and be like, oh, this is not. I signed up for like e-com and stuff. No, like the Wish.com, like really... Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett. <laughs> is, is people yeah. say like, where did all that value go? Well, it never existed. That's the real reality, right? And I don't want to get into the complexities of that. But when people, when you read on the news, like, oh, like in the last crypto crash, like two, a, a trillion dollars of value disappeared or, or in the housing market, it never existed. It was just that we collectively agreed that it hypothetically exists, right? Like, and this show, this really, when you start to understand this, lets you understand that all capital markets are just a weird house of cards yep. on some level. And in it's a all weird way they really in a are. really sketchy way. Yep. And a lot of it's greater fool theory. Even, yep. the, even the not sketchy stuff is greater fool theory. Um, I mean, Sequoia got rugged by, uh, oh boy, at the FX. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, bro, I mean, you want to, not to freak everyone out, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, but I got a text yesterday that was like, hey, rumors are uh, SVB is going insolvent. And no, another one? And I was oh, like, I oh, no up. way. And then this oh, morning I woke wow. up and, 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 um, and Silicon Valley Bank, which is a serious bank, is down 40% this morning because they had to do a $500 million offering to cover. Because here's to go back to your point about tech. When all you do is give loans to, to venture-backed tech companies that make no money, and they can't pay you back, yep. right? Like all of a sudden things get really sketchy, right? And that's what happened. Forget crypto for a second. I mean, normal equities markets, tech, right? Like there's no cash to pay back debt. Then something happens. Everyone defaults. And actually the original lender starts defaulting on other loans as well. And then you start talking about contagion. Because even though Silicon Valley Bank is only like a $20 billion bank, it's a real big bank. It's not like Bank of America. There is weird intertwined things it has with other lenders and them and where money has been going. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's a possible mini Lehman 2.0. We'll That's see where that goes. That's what I was going to see. Yeah, the kids, kids don't know, but uh, the, kids the pro clutching know. that happened because uh, that was actually not the worst balance sheet in the world. And it absolutely just just evaporated. Dude, I mean, it was just, just well, insane. it's partially because these are all like basically derivative for the product. I mean, like that's just, the challenge, right? Because the, the leverage keeps stacking on the leverage, keeps stacking on the leverage. And you're like, hold on. So you're telling me if this yeah. thing is the tail's wagging the dog. It's a weird, 100%. Weird, weird way. So anyway, we, we, we'll move on from like esoteric like stuff there because I could just geek out. This is not forever. investment advice. We should, we should None caveat of that. Investment advice. I promise you that. Uh, I tell people that all but, the time. Uh, investment advice. Okay, let's wrap up with one, one more question to make segment. Go to value add. Uh, what's the nicest thing someone has done for you? The nicest thing someone's done for me? Yeah. Oh God, that's a great question. I mean, there's like very obvious, like my mother put up with me being like the yeah, most yeah. horrific child on the face of this planet. <laughs> I, I went to five high schools and dropped out of college. First time I got kicked out of school was fourth grade. So my mom putting up with that was the nicest thing. Consistent ever, at least. Pretty consistently nice to me. 
Um, no, I have some really good mentor friends that like, and I only only delineate those mentors because I want to be clear that they have accomplished a lot more in life than me. And and I think that it's maybe it's a pay it forward type thing. I don't know. We're definitely homies. Like we definitely like each other a ton. But there are people that have gone out and 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 taken like little tidbits of things I've said and accomplished really crazy things with it because of the leverage they have in life. And instead of just leaving me behind, um, they decided, you know what, there's room on the ship for young James, and let's bring him along with us. And I don't, I won't get to the exact details of it, but I mean, people that hypothetically have made me vast sums of money. Um, just because they've Amazing. been kind, you know what I mean? Just because because they, they've been really really kind. And then if we go again, if we go non like non superficial, like my I just my mom is putting up with me being yeah. like the worst child in all of existence for for a long time. So, yeah. well, she that. did good work. You turned out you turned out pretty awesome. So you know what, Rob? I'll out, tell Mama you, Camp. it's 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 only it's hindsight's twenty twenty. It's very easy, yeah. and this is true about all entrepreneurship. Everyone right, and being a creator, everyone hates on. Everyone's like, you should go get a job. Everyone's like, oh, you're gonna. And then all of a sudden, everything works out. And everyone's like, oh, what a wonderful mom. You know, like I knew it the whole time, right? I'm sure I'm not like super successful. I'm sure big people see that more often. But it's always funny. My story, nightclub promoter getting kicked out of school, all of that. It's easy for me to own now because my life is good, right? And it's easy to be like, oh, James has had these wins. And that's just the funny parts of his story. But when you're really struggling and you're, and I'm not going to pretend I've really struggled in life like other people, but I have slept on an air mattress. I have slept in a five bedroom apartment, no hot water across the street from the projects. Like I've lived that life. And when you're there, no one's being like, man, it was so funny when you got kicked out of school four years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so anyway, so shout out to mom for seeing that I could, I could make it through all that. Anyway, That's so. a fantastic answer. No, I love that. Um, all right, let's jump into the value add segment. So you are doing something pretty cool with nano flips and one of the last things I'll say on the investment income kind of thing is um, unless you need access to investment vehicles like a, a car loan or a mortgage or you you need insurance and the insurance is covered by the company, W-2 income is the worst income you can have. It is You're going to pay your taxes on it. There's nothing you can do about that. Whereas when you have business income coming in, there's all these things that you can do to ratchet down that. There's section 179 where you can buy a car. You can do all these things. So that's the last thing I'll say on the, the cash flow sure. thing where a W-2 is great, but uh, there there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. And again, if you don't need access to financial vehicles, like right now, you might as well put a house on an Amex. Like, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the rates are so preposterous. You ain't buying a house right now. Yeah. And uh, and you can still get loans from your business income, but the way it works, or at least in Texas, is you average out the last three years and that's what your quote unquote income is um, from your tax statements. But anyways, okay, now, now that we're out of the weeds, uh, tell me about NanoFlips. So NanoFlips has just been this thesis of mine that was like, I was very, very lucky. And I, and, and I recognize that anyone who tells anyone who's like at all, even at all successful, it tells you that luck was uninvolved is like a narcissistic liar. And, and so I, and I, I don't profess that I'm super successful, but I've had a couple wins and a lot of that was luck. And part of that luck was actually just being that like my mom made sure that even when, you know, we could hardly get financial aid together that I went to some of the right schools. Right. And so I was very, very, very blessed to go to school um, with a young man whose father was the name, one of the five high schools I went to, whose father started an investment bank. And so when I, when I came and became a partner in the company sold in 2020, which is called DMO Holdings, I just, we had a bunch of subsidiaries, but the Holdco, well, actually it was a different name at the time. Point is, I had somebody call me up and they were like, hey, I'd love to write a check into your company. Um, you're playing cannabis and financial markets and I know that world really well. And that person was the, was the owner of this investment bank. And so the reason I tell you that 
is that I got a really good insight into the way that people that really move money, move money. You sort of took me under his wing. I used to be in, literally sitting on 54th Street in an investment bank working all the time, like in a little office. And, uh, and I was just very blessed to be around people. I had no degrees. I had no Series 7. I had nothing. And all of a sudden, I'm watching and seeing people from the top, not from the bottom, move and shake. And there's a reason that I know I can talk public markets to the end of time with you, right, in a way that, like, oh, I probably shouldn't be able to. And it's because of people like that. So one, a lot of thesis I had leaving that and some of the stuff we did at DMO was, like, recognition that we could play these sort of weird mechanics that existed in private equity and in larger public markets, but in a micro scale. And I generally believe that a lot of my life, that a lot of the reason that that the, the, what you just, you know, I spoke about is so complicated is on purpose to make yes. it complicated for people, right? So to help, to help create the moat that what I do as an investment banker, as a private equity guy is so amazing. I mean, leverage buyout. You did, anytime you buy a house is a leverage buyout, just to be completely clear. Everyone's like, oh, an LBO, like a leverage buyout is just using a little bit of equity and debt to make a purchase of an asset, right? So if anyone here has bought a home, you've done a leverage buyout. Um, so my thesis with nano flips was that like, and it just fell together was that like, we can take some of these tenants that are, that the people use and evaluate a private equity very often and apply them to smaller businesses. What's funny is that if you don't know the PE world, people often say to me like, Oh, do you work on middle market businesses? No, no, I do not. Middle market's like a 300 to $500 million business. That is not the space I plan. I make a joke. And my, my old business partner, and I used to always say that we played, uh, in the nano cap and the Pico cap world, right? Because when you go below micro in actual terms, nano and Pico go below. Um, so Nanoflips was the name of this. The idea was to be like sub $20 million, like acquisitions of online businesses. And so the thesis is this, is that in almost any business, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can too. Anyone who's like a decent marketer can find like inefficiencies in any business. The question is whether they're worth changing because in a vacuum, it's worth changing. Sometimes it's not, the juice is not worth to squeeze. Um, so my thesis has always been that like, there's tons of these small online businesses for sale. Most people don't even recognize that they exist, whether they be often blogs, like content sites, newsletters, small e-com brands, um, FBA. I don't, I don't, I won't profess about Amazon cause I've never owned an FBA brand, but I've, I'm assuming there's like a lot of opportunity there as well. Um, micro SaaS and that you could buy these businesses and find my shtick is more, we can find like three to five inefficiencies that are worth like three to 5% change in top line or, or, or in bottom line revenue. And that probably they didn't happen before because the previous owner, A, didn't see them, or B, just didn't want to take the time to do them. They thought the juice was not worth the squeeze. So the idea is that sub $20 million, normally in like the 5000 to $500,000 range, there are lots of opportunities for small owner-operated businesses that can be run remotely um, and do not take your full-time job. They can if you want them to but can be maintained, you know, to make a few thousand dollars a month. And again, for many people, it'd be like a few thousand bucks a month isn't anything, but for other people, that's an awesome opportunity. Um, and yeah, and that they could, buy, you can buy them and you can get creative. I try not to tell people to use debt, but you can definitely get creative with debt um, and leverage. And right now it's probably not a great time to do right it. Right now but, it's probably not the but, greatest time. <laughs> but when the, when you were, I mean, you, you could borrow at what, 2% before? Like, oh, bro. It's a great I, bets. What's Those really, are great bets. What's really interesting too is that like, again, the, the, the rich get richer. I mean, you know, if you, I have friends who get custom mortgages written for them, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, forget whatever mortgage you see anywhere. Like, they had a custom mortgage from their banker written for them. And, and there are magical things. So mortgage interest is a, is a write-off on a mortgage, right? So sometimes people, I mean, if you're smart, 
a five-year arm that's interest only, you're literally only paying interest for the first five years. So it's all write-off. And then you're moving houses, right? Or, or, or like, you know, when I first sold DMO in 2020 and I had a bunch of securities, you know, I had wealth managers like, oh, we'll get you LIBOR plus one, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know, like just these tiny, basically federal, federal fund rates, and, and which has changed now. But anyways, this opportunity exists for everyone, right? That's been my shtick. And it's not for everyone. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Buying a business is not for everyone. Now, I say all the time, anyone can, because I believe that anyone can. Do that everyone should? Absolutely it's just, it's just not, it's not the move for everyone. So, uh, yeah. So basically we look at what are the opportunities that exist, um, sub $20 million. It's normally sub a million, um, for small online based businesses that have opportunities to either grow or just be ran for cash flow. Because I think what's really interesting is that most of these businesses sell for like a three to four X free cash flow, right? So that basically means if three X you're looking at, 33% cash on cash return your investment unlevered, right? So without using debt. And I actually had someone, I made a TikTok the other day, it went super viral, had like- as oh, well. How's that going, by the way? You're doing great on those, right? Uh, it's, I did group. one last week that has like 980,000 views and 10,000 new followers. Go. Oh. I, I Listen, You're Oren, for it. Oren, who was on here recently, Oren said the other day, he's like, man, this is so easy. We could do anything. I was like, bro, it's not easy. It's just that we're good at it. Just, yep. just to be clear with you, right? A pure artist, yeah. And- so, uh, and someone will comment like $10,000, I got to spend $10,000 and I'll make, I can buy a side hustle that makes 300 bucks a month. Okay. If that's, you're right. For some people, that's a terrible way to spend $10,000. But we just said that you're going to make at 300 bucks a month, 36% on your money year over year, right? That is astronomically better than the S&P 500. That is astronomically better than bond markets, everything. So if you're already an investor, right? Like it makes a lot of sense to you, right? And so that's the people that I work with. They're people that are are looking to buy businesses and understand that those are good returns. Um, but if you're if if that's really bad returns to you, if you feel like three hundred dollars a month from a ten thousand dollar investment is bad for you, then then probably investing is just bad for you in general. Yeah. Like you should probably yeah. just be saving as much money as possible. And anyway, so yeah. that's the thesis of NanoFlips. I recently bought onlineacquisitions.com. And so NanoFlips will become a newsletter from online acquisitions, the the lower market MA advisory service for online businesses. So Man, I love that. I think that that's something that, um, again, uh, first off, like it's good to get on or good to have like some sort of like have a three month blow up fund that doesn't exist. So like if something hits the fan, you can access that and then figure out how else you want to access uh, other money. Because the same thing to your point of like investing, the reason I like it is to your point, there's a lot of people that are incredible at doing a thing that are horrible at running a business. So like we, we sit across a lot of data and I've interacted before at my previous agency with people in that kind of same space, a little bit higher where it's like that 10 to 50, but like they have product market fit, like, but they might not even know a contribution margin. Like they're just really fucking good at selling. Like they're like, I got an awesome product. I, the product market fits there. I'm selling. It's great. But there's marketing expenses. The marketing could be horrible. There's operational expenses that might be there that you can cut. And there's all these things that you can really make that uh, P&L start to become way more robust than it is now. And that that's kind of the, the point of this, right? Is like, you can find those three to five things that are like, oh, wow, like there is a business here. It's spitting off cash flow, but why is it not spitting off more cash flow? And if there's something there that you can, you think you can actually help with, that's kind of your, that it's almost like the pre-post, right? It's like, sure, free, it's worth this post. It's going to be worth that. Wait, Rob, but that's exactly it. So to give, just to make the math super, super simple, let's say you bought, let's keep it really simple. And there's a ton of them out there, a business 
for like 100K because it makes 30K a month in, uh, a year in profit. That's like a, that's, that's probably most e-com brands that people run are, are probably in sub that range, right? Um, owner operated, whatever. But let's say 100K, uh, buy for 100,000, it's making $30,000 a month, a year, sorry. If you can make, let's say, five changes at 4% each, right? That's a 20% difference. Okay, so here's where the magic, and this is where all valuated private equity firms put their magic in as well. Let's avoid the debt conversation because it becomes even infinitely more magical when you use debt, but let's just say you didn't use debt. So if that business sells for three times its yearly free cash flow or profit or SDE, sales discretionary earnings at this size, is, so if I improve 20%, that means that each year I make an extra $6,000. Okay, that's cool. I made an extra 6K, but here's the magic. If I go sell that business, I get to capture $18,000 because I'm getting three years of it up front. So that means that if I make those changes in year one and then I sell in year two, I get to capture that extra 6,000 and probably make those changes early on. That's the goal here, right? I, it's an extra 6,000 year one. So year one, my cash on cash return is actually, uh, well, I can't do the math, but it's better than 33%, right? Better than what I bought it at. And then I sell it year two. Uh, uh, and I sell year two and I pull an extra 18K out of it. I actually made an extra 24,000, right? On, on that business, right? So anyway, my point is that you, it becomes this magical leverage point for you um, that is just sort of, you get to, I'm trying to do it without using weird financial terms. You create delta change that allows you to capture more alpha gain, right? And so, like, you get to, and you get to, if you can make small changes, a little Greek for you folks, yeah, a little, little Greek. Um, then you can capture a lot of that on the sale of that business, and that's Correct. actually really how most. I mean, that's the way I comp it out for most people is real estate, right? Yeah. And so in real estate, it's cap rates, right? Yep. So in general, if you can change a cap rate by like one percent, you can capture because almost all real estate's on leverage. You capture massive upside when you sell that yep. business. And that's how all valuated PE shops work, right? They buy businesses or they buy assets like real estate. They make in small changes using leverage, make small changes, and then they exit those businesses, yep. right? And they make massive, ma I mean, there's more money in private equity than anything else on the planet, you know? Yep. So my thesis has just been like, let's take this weird esoteric crap that everyone's trying to hide from everyone and let's, and let's bring it to, uh, not to the people, but like to, to everyone. Let's make this accessible yep. to anyone that's interested in this. And that's my thesis with NanoFlips. No, I love that, man. And we won't go down the pathway, but another uh, thing that you can get into some real estate fuckery is uh, one, it's the most tax advantage asset you can own. Um, two, you can say, hey, actually this house is now worth X. So it's, I actually bought it for 200, but it's only worth 150. But then you can go to the bank and say, hey, bank, this house is actually worth 250. Let me lend against it. And so there's some very, again, we won't go down that fuckery route, but um, there's some very, very, to your point, um, financial, uh, alchemy, if you will, that you can perform with real estate that is not, it, it, there's nothing else. There's no other asset like real estate. Challenge with real estate, it's a, it's a super cat, like your first one is hard, right? Because you oh, have to impossible. have some sort of Dude. cash flow. Like you have to have some semblance of a down payment. You have to be able to service the mortgage payment. Like there's all these things that go into it. But once you can get like your feet on the ground, that's where you've really changed my tune. I thought people got rich from markets, but it's really cash flow into blue chip real estate, into more blue chip real estate, into more blue type. And then yeah. you can just, once you it's get on, it becomes shit. the so, boring stuff so, makes so, so that's much in my money. thesis, right? It's like, it's so like, I like to play, I make money, I do well with, with certain things. And then I, I just invest into things that I know I can either effectuate changing myself or really boring shit, right? And that's, yeah, that's what I said in the beginning of this. I think, I think I'll, to give you really context about real estate is that like, I actually think, so in 2020, I sold my business, right? Or I sold a business and then, what I do, I was like, what does every rich person do? They buy real estate. Oh, so buy I, the dirt, baby. I bought, a, I bought a house. 
And what I'll tell you, and this is my thesis, and this is really leaning to the thesis of Nanoflips. I bought a real fixer-upper. I mean, I bought a piece of garbage, right? I actually said it was July 2020. No one was leaving the house. I wired off 90 grand to a, a house in Philly just because I had made some money, make buy house, buildings in New York money. I, right. I, I made buy buildings in Philly money, which so this is a different, <laughs> a different kind. You're going to have Eagles fans yelling at you now. Yeah. No, the shout out to Philly. I love Philly. It was wild. It was wild. Um, but we had, along those lines, like I gutted the house. I added a floor, added a bedroom, added a bathroom, um, added a deck. And it ended up taking me nine months instead of three months. I went like $85,000 or something like that over budget. I ended up making like $2,000 on the house. I originally was going to hold it for cash flow and I just sold it because it was such a nightmare. And what I realized was that same thing, thesis with these websites, right? Is it's way better to buy a good house that needs new paint and needs new appliances and then can be worth a lot more. And so, and so with websites and businesses, buy a good business that's got good history that we can make small changes to that make its value more as opposed to people like, oh, I don't, dude, we don't buy distressed businesses, right? Like I don't buy businesses that are losing money, like at all. Like I'd rather overpay for something great Right. And then be able to make so, improvements to it. So good. You know, then buy a piece of crap because it's a piece of crap for a reason. Right. And turnarounds are a totally different business. And most importantly, is that like I'm confident that me and you and some other people I know could go and fix something that's really distressed and make it really good. I'm very confident in that. But I'm also confident that I have like an obligation when I start talking to 100,000 person audiences because many people just go off and start buying things after I talk about it. That like, if I tell you to go use a bunch of debt and go buy a distressed asset, I'm basically sending you into the ground, right? I'm, I, versus being like, go buy something great. Anyone listening that wants to go do what we're talking about, go buy something really good with like two years of positive growth or stability that's in a nascent market, all ships rise on high tide, and that the owner was a passionate hobbyist that liked it and is just bored and doesn't want to do it anymore. And that's what you should be buying. So uh, just, that's, that's a perfect picture painted. Yeah, no, that's it. That's so perfect. Retention.com is not only just sponsoring your not your ROAS, Retention.com is here to help you make more monies from your email campaigns. They're an amazing resource for marketers and you can see all their podcasts and resources right on their site, including the five fundamental flows you need to grow. Go check it out at Retention.com or in the link below. Now back to the show. So I know you're, you're kind of a little bit of a free bird now. You're, you, you, kind of put your fingers in all these little pies. How, how do you identify your next project? Like, what does that look like? So it is, this goes back to the cash flow equity question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't mean to like eat my own words here, but I love cash flow. I love cash flow. With that said, I've done okay and I can play some equity games a little bit, right? Right. And so I'm just not so worried about the cash flow as much. Um, I mean, I'm still worried about cash flow, but you get my point, you know. Um, so identify my next project. Uh, I already know my next project, I think. Nothing is signed for it yet. So I hate when people talk about stealth startups. It sounds so douchey. Okay. Oh, you can't but, spill tea yet. But it is it is like a stealth startup thing. Okay. Um, okay. It could be really cool. Um, it's in the education space. Love I that. Think. So for me, how do I identify my next project? So I will, as long as I'm talking about buying and selling sub-$20 million businesses, I will own at least one, right? 
And so I have some soccer blogs, for example, right? Like, and that's just like, I'm, I've, it, maybe it's imposter syndrome, maybe it's a fear of fucking being a fraud, but as long as I'm telling you about something, I'm gonna at least have my hand in it in some regard. So um, with that said, there was a big project and there was a moment in time people were like, well, why aren't you buying everything you're talking about? Well, at the time when I first started Nanoflips, I was buying e-commerce brands. I mean, I was buying like, like bigger ones, right? So I'll tell you to go buy a, a, a content site when I'm trying to, you know, buy Madison Braids, right? That's just the reality. Um, and then now I'll keep buying and, 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 and growing some small things. But I'm, I'm, the thing that I'm excited about now was reminds me of why I was excited about cannabis, which reminds me why I'm excited about AI or Web3. And it's just like, I believe that these things are all kind of going to come to fruition one day, right? Like if I could make my bet, I will, I'd bet my life cannabis becomes legal in the United States. I really would. You know what I mean? Like I said, in the same way, I'd bet that gambling becomes legal. One of the reasons I bought a bunch of soccer websites is because go ahead, sell cleats. I want to do deals with DraftKings, right? I just think yep. that's, you know, like that's where the opportunity is with Barstool, yep. right? Yep. For gambling. I mean, he just, um, but hey, they just did the final, uh, final acquisition. Penn just bought the whole oh, thing. Oh, really? Beautiful. Yeah. 550, Beautiful. I think, or something like that. Like Beautiful. Yeah, so that's yeah. the, so, so to answer it, look at like these all ships rising high tide, right? Yep. So for me, I believe, I'll tell you, so I used to sell a course. I don't sell a course right now. I probably will again one day. But what I think is really funny, and I, I could pontificate on this to the end of time, is that like people will like comment on my TikTok like, oh, whatever, you just sell a course. Let me tell you what I find comically hilarious about this. My mom went to Harvard and my dad went to Yale and I did not grow up with any money at all. So have, if you believe that like traditional education is the future and the, and the fastest path to wealth, I'm really sorry, but you live in an antiquated world. I'm not saying that education is worthless. I'm not saying college is worthless. College is amazing. College is a fantastic way to, to transition into adulthood. It's a fantastic way to learn to learn and to learn to work on teams. I happen to drop out second semester senior year. I have eight credits left to this day. Let's right? go. <laughs> but, what, but, but to go along with that is that like, if you don't see, especially with the way AI is changing, you think your kids, I don't know if you have children, but everyone thinks as kids, you think your kids are going to write essays in 10 years, 20 years, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Like education has to, has to change. It has to. And so the idea... I'm very bullish on online education because I think that A, it's mired with a bunch of con artists from, from the yesteryear. And so it means that most people don't want to touch it. Perfect. I love, I love gray market. I love, I love uh, frontier markets. Um, that's where opportunity exists. Um, uh, so there was a bunch of scammers. There still are, so you got to be careful with them. But if you want it to be, and marketing is the easiest way for me to explain it. If you want to be a media buyer, a copywriter, an email marketer, these things, you could skip Warden, you could skip HBS, you could skip Stanford. You should go buy a course. I really, really mean yep. that. And you should probably like go work at an agency or go work at a at an e-com brand or go work at a, you know, a, a MarTech company and apply yep. what you learned. So I'm really, I'm bullish on online education. And so for me, when I look at new things to dive into, it's like I, the, the leverage point is not just can James effectuate change, but do I think that this is a growing industry and going to grow no matter what, that even if I don't do well, it's going to do well, you know? I think that's such an interesting point because that's one of my theses. It's way better to be bad in an incredible vertical that's taking off than be the best in like this dying horrible vertical. Like obviously there's going to be exceptions to the rule, but man, I would much rather be in this green field that I can eat in. And even though there's way bigger fish, because like to your point, like that floor just keeps rising and rising and rising. And uh, I, I think that's a really astute observation. Um, speaking of AI, because you, you and I have been through some some changes, right? Where we we came through from the internet 
And then the, the Facebook boom with like the Facebook news feed was just the most magical thing to ever happen to advertise. You just put like a dollar in, it just spits $6 out. You're like, <laughs> how does this money machine work? I don't care. Let's just keep doing oh, it. I feel like we're on that inflection point with AI. I, I, I feel like we're not there yet, but I feel like um, there's so many complex data sources. Like for example, like a cohorting page or something like people that don't understand how to read a cohort chart. If you can just say AI, like what's the best time to buy ads or what's my LTV and you abstract all of the need for knowledge and you just have these prompts that then can overlay to these complex data sets to then get you the answer. Like HubSpot's actually doing something really interesting right now where you can kind of start to have this, this AI interface, if you will. Um, Cause that's the other thing that people don't realize like open AI is this, this crazy super tech, but what they did, which was so brilliant was they basically just layered on a prompt. And, and now you can access all of this incredible technology. And so, um, yeah, I just want to hear where your head's at with AI, because I think it's, it, I, I think it's going to be a new epoch, honestly. Like, I think there was that, that internet age, uh, that internet age enabled uh, advertising that had never been seen before, where just the, the arbitrage that you could get and the targeting that you could get was just never seen before, which enabled all these other kind of cottage industries, um, whether that you can grow, like MVMT could never launch again. Sure. Uh, just off of the back of Facebook ads now. And so there is these businesses that were literally built off the back of ad arbitrage um, that that has done and died. Um, but now there's all these AI businesses where like SEO seems like really almost uh, a perfect, perfect target for that. Right. Because sure. SEO articles are more like fluffy They're They kind of hit this and that, but they're not this like super value generative, but they cost time to make. But now if I could prompt these really well and I have all this stuff like there, there starts to become some really interesting things that are enabled because it frees up your time. It gives you that zero to one. And a lot of times the money is really made from the one to end. Yeah. Oh, immensely. I, I think, I think it would have been crazy for us to go through this without talking about AI since it's like the hottest topic on the planet right now. So my thoughts on AI are, I, I'm happy to pontificate in the next three to five years. I don't know 10 years out. Anyone that does is a liar, right? I mean, my bet is I'm 34. My bet is in our lifetime that like, very fundamentally, the way that all society functions is completely different. We totally may need to start look at some sort of UBI or something for people because yep. it's just, un and there and there and we have to be careful because the rich will be because the the wealth the inequality gap will become massive, right? Yes, especially so, if you layer on financials, right? Of like, yeah. well, you can only access this AI for a price or something like that. Then it starts to become even more bifurcated between sketchy who has the resources and who doesn't. Like, imagine that if there was. Uh, uh, that on the internet, right? Where oh. it's like, there wasn't like internet providers that were kind of ratcheted down. Like they're sort of privatized, but they're kind of capped with government stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like sure. if you only like didn't have internet in the, and it kind of happens now a little bit, but like, you get what I'm saying? Like if you, that can be even more exacerbated with AI. Oh, like, I mean, and I won't get too tangential, but I was having, yeah. a, I, my friend just bought a PSVR two, right? The, the, the yep. newest yep. PlayStation VR. It's, it's crazy. Play Resident Evil on, it's crazy. Yep, and it and, and we'll see where it is in twenty years. I actually yeah. to go along with that. I think in twenty years, if you want to go to Hawaii, you'll be very rich, and you, we're gonna have this dystopian future where you work some weird job that's mostly done by the computer, and then yep. you go home and you want to go see your friends. You put on your VR, and and, yep. and vacation will only happen to the super wealthy. And if you want to go to Hawaii on some Black Mirror shit, you'll yep. fucking throw on your VR and you'll go to virtual yep. Hawaii for the weekend, yep. right? And that's all you'll get. And real experiences will be just only happen to the uber wealthy. So that's actually, yep. I, I know it sounds insane, but I think that's sort of where the future's gone. Um, AI though, let's talk about SEO for a second because it's been a big big thing for me recently. I have 
been on and off involved with SEO for 15, 20 years, right? You know? And so what I'll tell you is that it's actually, this is maybe the most meaningful one in a minute, in a long time, in a minute, in, in a while. Uh, oh, we're old. I get the reference. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is just a, uh, following the same string that's always existed. So yeah. what I'll say to you is that when I started doing this stuff 15, 20 years ago, we used to just buy EMDs, exact match domains. I, you would buy a domain name with a keyword and you would automatically rank for that keyword, right? Then you wanted to, then the, the change was, you went to rank an article, I'd write an article, and then I would actually, in bottom, I would, in white, on white background, just write tons of keywords that I wanted to rank yep. for. Jeez. And that was key, yeah, just keyword stuffing, and you'd rank. And then, now, then Google introduced, and we'll use Google here as the as sort of the overarching thesis for, for SEO as opposed to talking about... Um, sure, you know, uh, or what have you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then it became about eat, right? And then like sort of like your authority, right? And so basically the, the string of reality that's existed here is that no matter what, it's come down to like, can you actually create good content? That's the real value. And, um, and the answer is... That, as is, I'm going to read, I'm opening my phone real quick because I took a screenshot saying today, I thought it was very apropos of this. You know, in SEO, you are, people are really worried that sort of LLM, these language learning models are going to basically sort of make it so that search doesn't exist anymore. Couple, couple, couple statements on that. First of all, the U.S. government is not going to allow that to happen. I and mean, that's just antitrust laws. There's no way that Google is about to go make $30 billion, which is how much they made last year off of display ads, right? Yep. Um, and 260 billion in total, and if you include yeah. AdWords and everything, by taking other people's copyright, to taking other people's copy, rewording it, and then impeding on their ability to do business. That is just yeah. not what the U.S. government is going to allow to happen. Correct. Um, but there will be some changes. I think that we're going to see certain keywords you're going to have replaced with, you know, some certain pages will lose traffic and the same, but some will do well, like featured snippets exist now. Yep. Um, but someone wrote this, a gentleman named Michael Fink, and I don't know him, um, but I want to read you something quickly he wrote today on, on LinkedIn, which is very ap applicable to this. Because surviving the AI disruption, navigating content landscape, with GPT disrupting the content space and SEO being declared dead yet again, which is true, mm -hmm. I've heard SEO is dead a hundred yep. times before, it's important to consider the, the content businesses cases that are all still relevant. Communities, 100%. personal blogs, 100%. You know, how to websites. Like you, it's really, I'm not going to read everything he has here, sure, but my sure. point of this is just that like, you just have to create great content that differentiates, that. you know, versus just what can what can GPT spit out? Okay, you're, you know, if I ask you what are the dimensions of a football field, then sorry, probably your article that's 5,000 words describing the dimensions of a football field is not the winner in the long run because yep. AI can answer that better than you any more yep. easily and why do that? But if we wanted to like talk about even recipes is a good example. Right, everyone's got a different recipe. Everyone wants a different, yeah. a different style of thing. And you also, the other thing you have to remember in terms of, and Elon has said this a few times. There's going to have to be regulatory oversight for a, for a bunch of reasons. But also, more importantly, I don't know what people know about Sam Altman. This is not ne negative yeah. or positive about him. But if you are going to use Bing and take whatever Bing's GPT answer says as infallible truth, you are yeah. just assuming that the singular data source or whatever data source they've chosen are exactly right. And the reality yep. is that in truth, there's a Shakespeare quote. You know, in life, there's no good or evil unless you make it so. You know, yep. people, people say there, um, there's his side, her side, and the truth. There are very few things in this world that are absolute truths. Absolute truths actually, I think, don't exist. In, in, yep. in, 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 and so the idea that there's one answer for everything is sketchy and weird. And I don't think that's what's going to happen. So that's my SEO answer is I think that we're going to watch this seismic shift, but it's going to happen slowly. And 
and people will still exist. And, you know, if I want to search for what is the best, perfect example, what's the best, you know, uh, data analytics platform for e-commerce? Who, who does Sam Albin get to decide like who it is, you know? Because uh, that's a crazy world. I don't think that the U.S. government's going to allow that. It's sort of very anti-capitalistic in, in that in its own regard. No, I, I actually agree with all that. And and the open AI, like it's like a weird entity as well, where it has all these weird like financial things. Anyway, we won't get it's into sketchy that. and weird. It's but it's so, just, it's a weird so, one. So AI is going to change the world, but it's just going to be like I think it's just an opportunity. If anyone ever reads um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and I would never compare myself to anyone Outliers, but Remember I called myself internet kid? You are too, right? Is it like we just serendipitously happen to grow up at the advent of the internet? That's perfect for me. In Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell talks about how basically 95%, and don't, no one hold me to the fire here. I'm going to misquote this. So, But some like 95% of all the richest people in all history of humanity were born in the United States between like 1864 and 1885. You know what that is? It's because they were, grew up for the Industrial Revolution. They just happened to be entrepreneurs in, the fast, in, a, in a country that had just been built off the back of slavery and now they're part of the Industrial Revolution. So if you are an entrepreneur or a marketer and you happen to be alive during the advent of AI, okay, you can either run and hide or you can be like, oh my God, this is the best opportunity in my entire life to use these tools on top of what I'm good at over the next five to 10 years before AI takes over the entire world and make obscene wealth or be obscenely successful or live a happier life because it, it, it helps you. I don't know. But that's sort of my take on AI. Sorry, that's a rant, but hopefully. That's no, that's a great rant. I, I, that's a great place to leave it because that's where I, I landed as well, where um, like the the example I've been using to people is like an editor, or like usually, so say you write a book, right? That book usually goes to an editor and that editor, she'll make whatever changes she wants to make a better book. Then who write, who wrote the book? Was it you? Was it her? Was and that's all AI does. I think AI just gets you kind of like the, the pen on the paper, if you will, and understanding how to prompt it and understanding how to um, almost make it yours. And so I think that because I had it write me a speech, I had to do all this crazy stuff where it's just like the time saves. And it wasn't perfect, but it was just so much easier to kind of just edit some things and then make it in my voice. And so I'm with you, man. I see it as an augmentation. I do agree there might be some really interesting knock-on effects with the legislation because uh i mean we can't even legislate the internet so like something as like nuanced as ai it's going to be really interesting to see how that legislation works but i i think i'm with you i i, I think it's going to be um for the better um and to your point like there's no reason not to get on this wave because if not like that it's the same thing as almost being like a Luddite. Like, I'm not going to use the internet. I want to read books. I love books. Books are great. But at the same time, like if you don't use the internet versus somebody that does use the internet, you're so supremely advantaged that it's like you just have no chance. It's, it's, it's just not, not going to happen. 100%. And to go along with that, what I will say, though, and I made a TikTok about this earlier today, the 90% of the people that you all, anyone listening or watching this, 90% of the people that you guys see talking about AI will not be talking about AI in a year. I can promise you that. AI is in a bubble. A bubble does not mean that it goes around away forever. We had a tech bubble, and now tech is ubiquitously part of all of our lives. We had a crypto bubble. I would bet my bottom dollar that blockchain technology will be ubiquitously part of all of our lives. Whether it's Bitcoin or CBDCs, if you think the U.S. government is not going to take the opportunity to turn off your money when they can, you're, you're delusional. So crypto is going to be part of our lives. AI is a bubble. The reason I say that AI is a bubble, it's not that it's not going to exist. It's not that it's not going to change the world. It's that like, Half the companies that are popping up as AI right now are not AI. I watched it in cannabis. 
everyone's like, oh, well, we do, C- we do CBD. So we need to raise money at this valuation. I watched it in, I mean, I just been, I'm 35, 34, but it's been, it's our dot cycles. com. It's our dot com again. Like you literally exactly. just throw dot com on your business in the nineties and like you just 10 X your valuation. It, That's so it. You, it's it, very, very, uh, what is old is new. As old as, exactly. It's going to go away. And half the people that are really, I mean, do the amount of fucking threads I've seen about chat GPT, you know, and it's like, okay, cool. Like you don't know anything about AI. You don't know anything about marketing. You are a CFO who's paying a ghostwriter to write for you. Now you have a new thread about the top tools you use for AI every week. Like, I, listen, I'm trying to call anyone out here in particular, but it's just like, it's bullshit, you know? And, and people will always be on the hype cycle. And people that ride hype, it doesn't mean there's an, an opportunity. I'm just saying that like half the AI companies you hear about today will not exist in, in two years. I, I fully stand uh, on that basis yeah. as well. So that's my, sorry, that's my rant. It just is, it's, it's, it's very apropos idea. of what I've been thinking about recently. Great idea. Great rant. Great A rant. Amazing. And it's not brought to you by Chat GPT. This is this is straight from the OG gray matter. The kids the kids in 20 years won't even know what the gray matter is. Not anymore. at all. It's the yeah. chat GPT. We'll just be plugged in. That's it. Um okay, some rapid fire. You ready? Please, let's do it. Okay. All right. TikTok. Overrated, underrated. Overrated, gonna get regulated. I mean, underrated, gonna get regulated. I think that Oh, you think so? I th- oh I, I would bet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I yeah. think that uh I I, I We'll see what happens. I think it's overrated in some regards, underrated, under, uh, over, underrated in others. I think that everyone assumes that their audience is not on TikTok. If I had a dollar for everyone who's like, oh, my customers aren't there. Well, there's 1.2 like daily active, 1.2 billion daily active users on TikTok and 270 million downloads in the US. So your audience is there. Um, it's about creating content that resonates with them and, and, and pulling it in. And so I'd say that from a, from a top of funnel organic standpoint, TikTok is magic. Um, and then probably Spark ads and actually testing some next week for something. Um, but in general, I think it's overrated in terms of what brands are paying. I think that's insane to me. Like brand are paying for brand deals, huge amounts for them. When in general, like a creator, if they're not good at creating viral content, like that, that they could have a million followers and they could get 10,000 views in the next piece. Um, so I'd be paying more for like YouTube. And, and it's funny because if you start looking at brand deals, no one wants to pay for Twitter ever, which is really weird. Um, and I think there's actually a ton of opportunity there. But so in some regards, really overrated, some regards underrated. And I think some regulation comes down on them. Ironically, in a similar way that Trump was trying to make it happen. I'm not talking pro or negative Trump here. I'm just saying like that, that it's not going to be run by ByteDance in China. I think that that, that may not. I love that hot take. Amazing. Uh, YouTube, overrated, underrated. Um, I think it's, be, it's overrated. And the reason I think it's overrated is because YouTube, I think, was underrated until very recently. And sh- so right now we're in this weird game. I actually had a call about YouTube earlier today. YouTube subs, I think, are overrated. I think that you, a year ago, YouTube subs were underrated is what I think. I think it's changed really quickly. And it's really because we're in this really weird game. And you can talk about, we, you're talking about Facebook before. But right now, everyone's in a race for short form. So everyone's getting free subs for short form, i.e. like all these chan- all these social networks are letting everyone get it. Um, and so I think a year and a half ago, a YouTube sub was worth crazy money. I think you had a million on YouTube, you were, you were uh, an obscenely valuable channel, right? Like obscenely valuable. Still is super valuable. But I can tell you now with shorts, I know people that are really just crushing the subscriber count in shorts and that notifications are changing for subscribers in now, right? It used to be that when you post a video, I know with long form, they'll still let you know if you're a sub, but short form, and if you put a short, YouTube is not sending you a push notification to your phone that someone you subscribe to is putting on a short form. So I think in the long run, YouTube actually has more traffic than TikTok. TikTok still, YouTube actually has a higher quality demo overall on TikTok still a little bit. But I think that like that, where it was a year ago, where everyone's like, YouTube is a subscriber. 
I think that the quality of what a sub means to you on YouTube now is, is an ever di digressing metric. And that's just because everyone's in a race to give free subs to content creators. And by the way, eventually when we find out who wins, they're going to stop that. Just like yeah. it happened with Facebook, just like it happened yeah. with IG. Yeah, I remember Facebook pages. Dude. Amazing. That, that was the best honey now, dick of life, of life. Like Facebook was like, you should build this page. You should do all this stuff. And they're like, oh, by the way, we're not going to show any of the pages content in the newsfeed anymore. Sorry, guys. You, unless you pay. <laughs> unless you pay. It was so good. And that's what's going to happen. So I still, I'm actually still, I still think a YouTube sub is worth more than a TikTok sub. So I'm sure. not saying it's not super valuable. Yeah. I'm just saying that it is, it is a degradation less value yeah. that's happening. Yeah. yeah very, no, very quickly. hundred um, percent. Acquiring content websites. Overrated, underrated. So I can't, everything you're asking, I think, I is ever changing. So no, yeah, yeah. it is so so ever changing and so close to home. Um, I think for a long time underrated. Um, I think everyone's like blogs are dead, and it's like okay, yeah, okay, that's cute. I mean, all you got to do is like look at. Um, I think that right now is a really weird time because of the algo updates that are happening. With that said, I think if you're smart and good, I think it's still really underrated. I think it's a really free and amazing way to build communities. I think if I were looking at, at buying content sites these days which I do every day, essentially, is like, where can you buy sites that you can build communities around, that you can build retention tools, I like to call it around. Um, for example, most websites don't have a newsletter or a community. And so let's say you buy a site that's getting 100,000 visits a month. Cool, if you can get 3% of them to get on your newsletter or into a Discord or whatever, at the end of the year, you got 36,000 people on Discord or a newsletter, you actually have that more valuable than the fucking content site is. If you think content sites are dead, you should go call Red Ventures and let them know that they should shut down Healthline and the Points Guy and all these hundred yeah. million dollar a year Nerd wallet, like all these yeah. people, they're just printing yeah. Penny money. Penny hoarder. Yeah, they just print money. But I do think that, that just like anything else, you need to be aware of the times that are changing. I think if you just buy a content site, you just put you know blog articles on it and hope to keep making affiliate commissions, I think that you you are playing a losing game. I think the trick is to build community and to build like and sounds almost a trope. Everyone says it, but I really, really Damn, believe that it. that's the magic of it. You know, you're, you're preaching the choir. Um, I've been really inundated on how can, to your point, like uh, content to commerce. Like if I can find a content site that crushes, and then I, I can bolt on some monetization mechanism with some high margin product. Like they should get Sean give on me here. that. He spoke yeah, to Sean yeah. Frank. You know, what I mean, you should get. I mean, oh, he's actually in Austin. Yeah, yeah, he's hilarious. I love that guy. First of all, half his, half his, uh, half his. He bought, uh, what he bought the uh, Everyday Carry. Yeah, Everyday Carry. Yeah, yeah. That's a brilliant. Buy. That's what I'm saying. He bought brilliant Everyday buy. Carry. He owns Ridge Wallet. They do like a hundred million dollars a year or something on Ridge Wallet. Oh, they're doing real he, money. They're real money. And he bought, um, uh, yeah, he bought Everyday Carry, which was a very large blog about things you carry in your pocket, like your wallets and stuff. Perfect, perfect example. Um, so yeah, I think that opportunity. I don't haven't done a ton of that. I have bought a couple things for e-commerce brands before, um, but they're very forward-thinking e-commerce brands, and it's more like they're discretionary. Like, oh, we'll spend a hundred grand to see how it goes. But I actually think, to your point, there's a real opportunity to do that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, drop shipping, overrated, underrated. I mean, drop shipping is probably today the hardest business model on the planet. Is sort of my feeling about it. I would say that if you are if you own a large content site, and I actually did this, I had a pretty successful drop shipping site because we had a cannabis-related website that had 2 million visitors. And we just, we wrote about stocks mostly, but inevitably I would mention the word bong or rolling papers or something. And so we built a website and it's, it's funny because they got everything from us, but it was called, it was the longest domain ever, sheepsmokingaccessories.com. It was all using, <laughs> it was the longest all, domain ever. ever. It was all using Oberlo. Yep. Um, and it was just automated drop shipping. I think if you have 
I think if you have something that is just bringing in traffic organically, dropshipping is a crazy easy way to pick up easy dollars. I think that if you are looking at running a paid traffic model into dropshipping, then you anymore. you missed the boat by five or six years. You know, and that's that's my bet on it. Absolutely well said. Uh, and honestly, like that's kind of my content to commerce idea. And the drop shipping would take the inventory risk out. So there, there's, there's almost kind of the same. Basis. I mean, I've done just... it. We, we want to talk about it off this pod. Let me know. I've literally done that before. You know, and yeah, then again, it that. wasn't like making crazy money. I think we're making like a thousand bucks a month off, off the drop shipping, and like that's a that's a thirty to forty thousand dollar extra asset from just like what I. You know what commissions were on rolling papers? Nothing, dude. You know what I mean? So I was like, I might as well just sell them. Yeah, so, anyway. absolutely. Uh, NFTs overrated, underrated. Ooh, I think oh, overrated last year, underrated this year. Ooh, uh, interesting. Uh, I, I, I just it. think that like non-fungible tokens, I think there is, it is, I agree. Th- if I had to really bet on gaming, I mean, it's just, it just makes so much sense. And only buy skins, who buys guns, who buys any of that, that is, makes perfect sense for NFTs. Uh, just like any hype cycle, any nascent industry, any frontier industry, you are going to end up with a bunch of scammers. I saw it in yep. cannabis. They were shoving a license in a room and raising a hundred million dollars against it. Yep. And we saw NFTs, um, but yeah, I think right now, 99.9% of all the projects that existed last year will never see the light of day again. And I can tell you, I should not have bought an AI-generated Matisse painting for $11,000. It's probably <laughs> probably the worst fucking financial mistake of my life. At least you have the story. At, At least, least you have, have the story. The story. They can't take that from you. Dude, it was uh, like, one, I was like, man, they never should have gave me money. They never should have gave me money when, after I bought this. Um, but I think that in the future, yeah, I mean, I think like, titles i mean i think that like i think that you know like one i think concert tickets i'm pretty bullish on the actual tech i thought art was a terrible uh terrible 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 concert tickets are a great one i'll tell you why because it's just like so the ticket master fuckery is yeah dude dude. you watch these artists right who and some artists make disgusting money just to be obviously but lots of artists do not right and friends who have record deals and super rich so let's say you sell out a million dollars of tickets Okay, well then, someone's selling those tickets on a secondary market. You receive nothing from that, yep. right? Like the idea and you that get you a could... shittier person. Yeah, the yeah. True fans can't even go because they get priced out of the market. Exactly. So I think it becomes the Super Bowl. Exactly. Tickets are a perfect way. I'm not sure how we tie yeah. it to physical goods yet. Yeah. But you got a whole row of shoes behind you that I can promise yep. you. If you had a conversation with Orange Schobel, will tell you that like there is a lot of difficulty these days in the luxury good market when it comes to authenticity. A lot. Real big. A I don't, lot. But I'm into the exotics and I don't, like, I'm very, I have a dealer out here in Austin because I'm very, uh, there's some crazy reps coming out of China. Like, so for example, uh, my friend was telling me uh, Cartier won't even take back um, certain bracelets. Yeah. Because well, there's so, like, the fakes that are coming out of China are so good. They can't even, like, at the store tell the difference anymore. I mean, it's to be crazy. honest with you, too, those, they're, they're talking about the love bangles and love bracelets, That's right? What, yeah, yeah. Yep. And for those, I mean, to be honest with you, you get a mold and you pour gold into it and it comes out. I don't know how you could ever tell me that it's not from, it's just gold, right? All, you know, like, and, and when you melt down gold, it all gets homogenized. It's all the same gold, right? Um so I'm sure there's a way you can tell, but you get my Pontificate, point. Pontificate, right? homogenize, man. Those five, those five <laughs> high schools did you well, my friend. I did. I did do well in the SATs. I did there do we well go. in the SATs. Um, there we go. But no. So NFTs, I think, are have a, un, unequivocally are going to have a, a a really useful future for us. I agree with you. Um, I think we all got, myself included, got deeply caught up in the hype cycle. Um, and then I do think what's interesting is that NFTs. I think the the understanding of how NFTs works actually is going to do a really good job at educating people. And what FTs are, fungible tokens, right? Because it's really important to understand when we talk about stock, to go back and talk about comp, is that shares are fungible, 
right? Obviously, or at least share classes are fungible. So when you start looking at when, when we talk about valuations disappearing, where all that value went, it's just that if I have a bunch of bananas and all bananas are the same and I sell you one banana for $10, then all other bananas are worth $10. And this is why paper net worth is, is very different than, than, than cash flow. Yep. Um, so it's important for you to understand all those. I love that. Uh, chat GPT, overrated, underrated. Ooh, I think in terms of search, overrated. I think that if I were building a language learning model, good luck competing with Google. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane to me. Like Google reads, there's a reason that you get great ads in your Gmail and, and it's because Google reads everything that we write all the time, uh, like literally um, from WhatsApp. <laughs> I mean, WhatsApp is, well, WhatsApp's meta. Facebook, yeah, or meta, yeah, excuse meta. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what is Google? Uh, Google I mean, owned. Android's massive. Android everything in Android, everything in Gmail, Gmail, everything on Google, Google search, proper. Yep. YouTube, YouTube, right? Second biggest like, search engine. So if I were trying to build language models off of uh, off of data, I would say that Google is the best data set the world has ever known. Hundred percent with you. And I think, I think that ChatGPT is cool. I've used it a lot. I think that what I, uh, but I don't use it for forward facing stuff yet. I think that like really quick thing. I think it'd be really cool. Like just free game shit, like um, with with ChatGPT is like, let's say you have a content site, or let's say you are a creator and you don't want to make lead magnets. I wouldn't make your like really high end, high quality stuff with ChatGPT, but like let's say you had a thousand page website and they're all about different things. Like I would go build like a thousand. That's an exa exaggeration. A thousand different lead magnets that were yeah. very specific to each page. It's going to change your opt in rate immensely. It's going to provide some free value to people. And you're going to save yourself like a hundred thousand hours of work. Um, I couldn't so yeah. agree with you more. The uh, I think creative agencies it's actually a big boon because half the creative, like ninety percent of the creative thing is pitching the client. So if you can get two or three pitches that are like kind of built for you, and then you just maneuver them, you can do like twenty clients' work in a day. Where it, 100%. it's very hard to get that like pen on the paper stuff. And so if you can take that and then mold it into something that is, uh, you know, you take something that's a five or a six it's almost in a weird way like the nano flip right like you take something that's a five or a six and then you just slap a little coats of paint on it put a new bathroom in it etc cetera, etc cetera. then it becomes this like very very valuable asset so uh yeah I, i'm pretty bullish on it but i'm with you for all the reasons we had stated previously if you could collab with anyone who would it be ooh, ooh, ooh. as a creator or is there anything in the world like is there anything on the planet anything that we're however you however you want to interact with this person who is it going to be I would really love to, I'd love to get some like one-on-one -on -one time and I'm not going to say like an Elon Musk because that's so too obvious, but with someone who's like a true, who's someone whose brain I think functions very differently than me and works at a high level in business because I deal with amazing entrepreneurs all the time and many of them are smarter than me, but it's not that I can't comprehend how their brain functions, but so it could be like a, you could, it could be like a Musk, it could be someone who just I would like, and it's not even collaborate. I would just love to get access to, to be, it's like I have friends, I'm not a creative at all. So I love my friends who are creatives. I love them because I'm like, whoa, like my brain doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? My brain works in like binary, right? It's like put an X, get out Y. Um, I think that in like, in terms of like, I would love to hang out with Mr. Beast with, with Jimmy, yeah. not because, because I, I mean, I think his content's fun, but because I think he's like a creative business genius. Right, like and, he marries and he, the creative to a businesses, you know, unrivaled. and like so that's what I find fascinating about these people. Yeah. Um, uh, I feel like those are like really, really, really crappy answers on the spot. Both are so like obvious and like just so like the biggest people on the planet. I wish I had some sort of like intellectual. I wish I could like tell you some poet, you know, that was like, 
oh, because I, you know, but no, I, 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 for me, it's like Lumiere's like in my space that I find like fascinating that I think see the world in a way that I don't, but also like play in the same world that I play in. If that, if that makes sense. I love that. Only a few more and we'll give you the Please. last question and make up for it. Uh, favorite meal and why? Ooh, favorite meal and why? <laughs> I would say my favorite meal, I'm very rare that I eat it, probably Eggs Benedict. Um, yeah, strong. I, lo- I love strong. an Eggs Benny. You know what I mean? Yeah, I actually, really, I, I prefer though, I prefer an American bacon instead of Canadian bacon. Okay, I was going to ask you, because some people get a little sketchy and throw salmon on there and stuff. I don't mind salmon or like an eggs Florentine. It. It's okay. Yeah, I, yeah. Listen, I want an eggs Benedict with crispy American bacon. And I don't want French fries instead of hash brown instead of potatoes. Oh, that is a twist. It is a twist. It's just oh, a I fat boy that. twist. It's just, yeah. I grew up a fat kid. I love, I, I would go, I'll go really hard. Tough, though. And yeah. by the way, that will also lead you into one of my other favorite meals, which is actually like a steak frites and with a oh, Bernays. Of course. Right? Of course. And so Bernays and a Hollandaise are pretty similar sauces, right? Um, and I, I want the fries, obviously the free, um, but my, be- my favorite overarching thesis of food is actually sandwiches. Um, and, I both, and every culture is a sandwich. I mean, every culture is like meat between bread or dough. Right. Yeah, yeah. And same thing happens with like pierogies and dumplings and gyoza. Yep. And there's, always, so every culture has it. Sandwiches. I actually only learned you, you're, you live in, in the Austin. culinary range here, James. <laughs> I like it. Well, I only learned like how much I love tacos like three years ago. Because I realized like, oh, tacos are just like Mexican sandwiches. Although samitas yeah. and, and tortas are really Mexican sandwiches. My point yeah. is though, like I was like, oh, this, I can still just put whatever I want inside of it. Yep. So if I could have one overarching kind of food, sandwiches, favorite meal ever, probably Eggs Benedict, but I eat it pretty rarely. Yeah, I love me at Eggs Benedict. I'm also a big sandwich guy. Uh, uh, favorite place to travel to and why? Favorite place to travel to. Um, I actually have only been there once. I loved Mexico City so yeah, immensely. Yeah, I've heard a lot of really good things so about it. So immensely. Minus the um, traffic, but other than m- that. Minus the traffic. I think that what makes magical about Mexico City to me is you end up, you have this like weird combination of like, it's sort of near the equator. So you get this tropics sort of energy, which you, which is really fantastic. And I've lived in Southeast Asia. And I've been in Central America a lot. And like, although culturally astronomically different, like in terms of like geography, not very different. Once you're on the equator, anywhere on the planet, I bet it's pretty similar. In the same way, both the poles are pretty similar. Um, but I think what happens with Mexico City and probably uh, probably a mix of like horrific colonialism combined with I think an, uh, uh, an old mayor or president who like was really, uh, really interested in European architecture. But you have this city that is like in Mexico and is sort of near the tropics, um, but like has this really European vibe to it. I just mean like aesthetically, architecturally, it's stunning in the way that like old cities are. And tons and of history. Tons of history. I mean, horrific yeah. history, but also yeah. like also like a fantastic food scene, very yeah. affordable. I don't, my, my Spanish is horrific, but I can get through Mexico City and everyone yep. speaks English. Um, I think that's probably it. Otherwise, New Strong York, choice. you know, you know, born, you know, born and raised New Yorker, but that's yeah. the difference for New York is me is that everyone always writes love poems about New York. It's so yeah. beautiful. New York is my mom to me. There's no, there's yeah. no, there's no sexy love poem about New York to me. New York is just yeah. like the womb. I mean, my mom is yeah. literally there. So, so yeah, but Mexico City, Mexico City, that's a great pick. Okay, last question: um, If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who would they be? So, there's a table of four. You're sitting at the head. Who's getting the invite from James? I mean, for sure, number one is Anthony Bourdain, but unequivocally, one hundred percent. I'm sure what tons of people say dude. that kind of stuff. What you know? Interesting dude. Uh, I've also been like crippled with, I think, you know, on and off depression and anxiety for yep. most of my life, and I think that's like very apropos, obviously, of him. Yeah. So Anthony Bourdain would one hundred percent be one of them. Um, 
you know, I would have to choose. I, I hate to go into it, and that would that would be not business related. But if I were doing the business thing, I would pick some sort of ridiculous business Lumiere as well. Yeah. Um, and it, it maybe it would be like an Elon or a Rockefeller, but someone that a I thought was like so like just really changed the zeitgeist. Yeah, changed the zeitgeist yeah. of the planet. And yeah. really, I think understand. I'm I'm still good at being in the in the mud of business. Yep. And what I've realized, the most people that are playing above me are never in the mud. They're they're Geppettos, yeah. they're puppeteers. They make shit Crazy, happen from above, right? Right. Yeah. And so you see how wealthy they are. There's it's no a different cell world. Phone, there's no computer. They just get it done. It's ultimate leverage. Ultimate leverage. Ultimate leverage. So so I think um, I think those, and then this thing sounds so crappy. My father passed away, and we never had like a great relationship. That. I would yeah. love for, to have dinner with my father. Well, he was an entrepreneur. Beautiful. And we were not particularly close when I was growing up. Yeah. Had a lot of animosity towards him sure. that I wish he passed away of Alzheimer's. And so yeah. when I when I was old enough to like rebuild a relationship with him, he was didn't remember who I was. Right. And so I think that like I would love to have, and I don't mean to like get all sappy or anything, but I just mean yeah. like I think like he was a good entrepreneur, grew up in the middle of nowhere in Texas in the 40s, got a full ride to Yale, never looked back. And uh, I never got to know him insanely well in that regard. And I think I'm always everyone always tells me he'd be really proud of who I am today. So um we're That's gonna awesome. go, we're gonna go Bourdain. We're going to go Bourdain, Rockefeller, and my dad. That's a jam. <laughs> They're that all dead. A, that's <laughs> a dinner, baby. I love that. James, this is a blast. I can't believe it's almost an hour 30. I'm sorry for taking up your time. No, not this at all. This has been so amazing. Um, tell the people how they can find you. How can they get more involved in Nanoclips? This time is yours, my friend. Cool. I appreciate it. Well, A, it's been a blast for me as well. I could do this forever. Um, but B, I am most prolific on Twitter. And that's Jameson yep. Camp Great or feed. James on Camp. Um, you probably one day be able to just Google James Camp and find me enough places. But Twitter, I'm taking a crack at TikTok. I don't know You're if doing it's going to. Well. I appreciate that. I don't know if it's going to be my uh, everlasting place to be forever. Yep. Um, but I, I, I just like playing around on lots of different uh, channels. Just I like it in my hands and understanding it. But yeah, nanoflips.com is my newsletter. It's totally free. You may eventually try and get sold in the course. Who knows? But if not, I guarantee you tons of absolutely free content regularly around everything. Um, Twitter is where I've made the base, best connections in my life. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram and YouTube and stuff, but really Twitter, man. Jameson Camp or James on Camp is how you spell it. Um, just search James Camp on Twitter. Um, amazing. Yeah. We'll, throw, we'll throw all the links down there. Uh, James, this has been amazing. One of my favorite pods uh, ever, dude. You are uh, as awesome as uh, I remember uh, when Appreciate you were tutoring me before. So it's, yeah. With better hair, though. The hair looks fantastic, by the way. Um, <laughs> If you do want to get more involved with Triple Whale, we are triplewhale.com. And then we also have a fantastic newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday. It's triplewhale.com slash whale mail. You can subscribe right there. Uh, James, if you're ever out in Austin, love to, love to get you eggs, Benny, a beer, whatever, dinner on the whale. I'd love to have you out, my friend. This was, this was absolutely amazing. And we'll do another one if you come out here. We have a really nice studio um, in the office as well for an in-person one. But uh, thanks again, man. Go follow James. Go read Nanoflips. Go start making more monies, acquire that business, do the thing. Um, I really appreciate all the really thoughtful, eloquent responses, man. This is this has been a jam. Dude, I appreciate you having me immensely. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right, folks, that's another ROAS in the books. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.